listening to the sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. We started somewhat of a series several weeks ago around the idea of radical hospitality and building gospel friendship. And essentially what we've done and what I, I believe we're doing is, is taking a very long-term approach to being missionally oriented people, particularly around ideas that are very polarizing. And whether those ideas are political or whether those ideas are justice-oriented or whether those ideas are racial uh, in their nature, um, I think that unless we learn how to uh, humanize other people, unless we learn how to truly see one another, unless we learn how to hear each other, unless we learn how to embody uh, true and authentic love that is demonstrated by a real relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean agreement. I don't agree with all my friends, but I love my friends and I respect my friends. And I submit to my friends when necessary. Um, and my friends sharpen me, and hopefully and prayerfully I sharpen my friends as well. And today I'm going to invite one of my friends up here to the stage, and uh, we're just going to have a conversation here in the next few minutes together. Sidron, if you would come and join us, will you please give my good friend a hand this morning? <laughs> Who was that that gave that hearty, yeah, that was amazing. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> For those of you who might be new to the Antioch family, Sidron is not new. He and his wife, Tamara, and their ever-expanding and growing family have been with us now. I was trying to do the math the other day. It, was it 2011 or 2012? 2011. 2011. Nine years. This is probably the longest time you've ever been in any church. Is that true? It is. <laughs> Well, my dad's church, but that yeah, doesn't count. That doesn't count. Since, <laughs> since you became a man. Yeah. Since, yeah. Guys, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. So, John retired from, from the Army after how many years of faithful service? 28? 23. 23. Easy. Three years yeah. too long. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but 23 faithful years serving our country, serving the military. And uh, that military service brought he and his family here to Fort Carson, here in Colorado Springs. And God, I believe, sovereignly directed uh, Sidron and Tamara and their kids to Antioch Church. Of course, by that time, uh, you didn't have Zion and Hadassah at that time. That's just so nuts. It's crazy. Yes, yeah. we started over. <laughs> we would have been empty nesters this year. <laughs> but we're so glad you're not, yes. right? I love Zion and Adasa. Yeah, you wouldn't have had birthday parties like uh, last night? They challenged right? me like nobody's business. <laughs> I'm older and a little slower, and they know it. Uh, <laughs> they're taking advantage of that. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, I have to say, you guys, in the past nine years that I've gotten to know this family and this man in particular, he's become a very, very dear friend uh, of mine and our family. In fact, our two boys spent the night at their house last night celebrating Zion's seventh birthday or seventh birthday. And uh, when we began thinking about um, embodying conversations, and it's not just the content, right? Because we're going to talk about some really good things in a very short amount of time. But hopefully what you also see is we're putting our friendship on display 
Um, we're putting our vulnerability, we're putting nine years of, of trust that we've built um, on display. And you're just going to see just a, just a short snapshot of that and just a small window into that. But Sidron, for the sake of time, um, I could read off a, a very long resume of, of how wonderful you are. Oh, wow. By the way, we are, uh, we are live streaming today. How do you feel about that? We're putting this on, we're talking about putting this on display, man. This is the whole world is watching right now. Why did you tell me that? <laughs> oh, not this service. Next service. This is a trial run for next service's live stream. Terma told me something about the green light <laughs> in the back there. Guys, we're going to live stream next service. Isn't that exciting? Ooh, um, several weeks ago, we talked about how uh, a part of building friendship is recognizing that every single one of us are unique and that there are differences, and there is absolutely not one person in this room or on the planet that are exactly the same. And we walked through this life profile category by category. So, Dron, just as a way of, you know, more deeply introducing yourself, could you maybe walk through a couple of those uniquenesses of the puzzle piece of Sadron Smith to us this morning? All right, real quickly. Um, my name is Sadron Smith. I was born in Houston, Texas. We lived there for about until I was 13 years old, then we moved. But while in Houston, I lived in a uh, southern part of the city, South Park, Houston. And there we had predominantly black people, predominantly Hispanic. And I went to a Hispanic and black school and um, um, just dealt with a lot of bullying. I had to learn how to fight early. Uh, I was probably as skinny as a toothpick, and my mouth was bigger than my body. <laughs> and I would pick fights, and I have a twin brother who was bigger than me, so it was, he was like, what did you do? Why are we fighting again? <laughs> so I had a big mouth back then, because I knew I had some help, you know. So I was, I was something else, but uh, b bullied a lot, just for being small, and had a lot of gang activity and stuff like that in those areas, and if... If you was black, then you had to belong to a gang. And my brother and I, we did not because of my dad. Now, my dad was a huge man. And he said, you will not be a part of any gangs. And I respected that. And I obeyed that because if I didn't, there was a belt waiting for me. But uh, so we, we grew up, you know, uh, living a, lot, a little timid life, if you will, going to school every day and being bullied and fighting all the time just to prove yourself and what have you. And then in a lower uh, income area, then we moved to Georgia. So now, uh, new area, everybody seems to be smiling, but there's something lurking there, and it was racism. Never experienced that level of racism until I moved to Georgia. Um, went to a predominantly white high school. Uh, being a black person entering to this high school, is this all right? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Being a black person entering to this high school, they automatically want to put you in remedial classes. I mean, like kindergarten classes in this high school because this is what people have grown up in this area. So they just assumed that my brother and I wanted to take these classes. We rebelled, and in doing so, we had principals and guidance counselors and different people uh, coming against us. And we was like, look, we're not going to sit in these classes. I mean, who wants to be... We used to call it the dumb class. Who want to be in the dumb class, you know? And, uh, and we would fight against it, fight against it. Then word got to my parents and everything, and they was like, well, they need to be tested. Well, we say, give us the test. Let us take the test. 
we took the test and it found out instead of being in these remedial classes, we needed to be in the advanced classes, above medium classes, the advanced classes. And then they stuck me in something called physics and I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> but just going through that, just entering into Georgia and into this high school, and then we have signs on the, on the wall, the KKK wants you and just different things like that. I experienced racism for the first time and didn't know how to handle it. But God, but my parents didn't teach us this. They didn't teach us to hate other people or anything like that. So it really didn't affect me to the level that it does uh, or, or it did over the years and being down in there. Um, got through that, did pretty well, learned how to get along with people. Then you join the military where you got all different types of people. Joined the military, got some uh, kickback from that. Uh, but endured it and loved it. I enjoyed it, as a matter of fact, after 10 years of being in there. Then you start learning to love it, you know. So the diversity in the military kind of makes you melt together regardless of what's going on. They make you come into a relationship one with another because you come with hard challenges. Kind of like what our country's seen after 9-11. We all came together because of this hard challenge that hit our country. So, and, and, and just to let you know, I have uh, siblings, I have a twin brother, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And um, we all grew up in different eras of life in different places. And we, we all come to the table every weekend and just kind of have a conversation about kind of like the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. That's awesome. So, John, you mentioned growing up in the South. Uh, how old were you when you moved to Georgia? I was 14 or 15. 14 or 15, mm -hmm. right? And then so, of course, the military has taken you all over the world, and, and now here you are. And it's one thing to say, I think if we're not careful, we can almost categorize things like race and racism and racial hostility to certain uh, time periods, mm -hmm. or we can locate them in certain geographies. Oh, that just happens in the South. But here we are in Colorado. Here we are in 2020. And let's just say, just to you know, timestamp this, within the past you know, one to three years, I mean, is this still something that you have touched, tasted, or experienced in any way here in our own city? If I say no, I will be lying. Uh, yes, the answer, the short answer is yes. Um, pretty much, uh, I'm not going to say every day, but it happens at least once a month. And that's the hard part, the hard reality about it. Um, I used to look at different situations going into them with the defensive posture. Like, I know I'm going to be treated illly when I walk into this place. When I first started my business, I knocked on about 300 doors. I don't recommend that to anybody. <laughs> Goodness, it was hot, and you got this bald-headed black man saying, give me your keys, I want to change your oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, running around with this Spanish guy over Who here. Who thought of this business plan? <laughs> but I used to think like that, and I had to come out of that mindset. We'll talk about that later. But uh, I would knock on doors, and before I can get a word out, it's like, no, we don't want anything. you know. And I can imagine you know, solicitation and different things like that. But then there were a couple of times that it got a little, little violent, a little pushy. And I was like, what is this? You know, I'm trying to offer you a service that you need. You need me. And they were like, no, but the thing was, because of my skin tone, I could tell, I could sniff it, I can smell it because I've tasted it before of what it is. 
and yes, uh, experienced it. Um, not too long ago, I was walking in my mother's neighborhood down in Georgia. And uh, before I can pretty much say who I am, where I come from, I've served this country honorably for 23 years. I mean you no harm. The question is, what are you doing here? From that standpoint of what are you doing in this neighborhood type thing. And this was from a police officer. And uh, I always carry my idea, what have you. And uh, I said, sir, what, what, what seems to be the problem? And what he said was, you fit a description of somebody who broke into a house a couple of days ago. I said, well, it couldn't have been me because I just got here yesterday. But to feel that and to taste that. And then once I showed my military ID, because I always carry it, everything changed. So what happened to innocent until proven guilty you know, it was guilty until proven innocent. And that's something that I pretty much taste all the time, regardless of who I am, where I've come from, what I've done. Uh, I've been to war. I, I've had bullets shooting over my head for this country. I love this country. But you don't want to know that just yet until you get to know me through relationship. Sidron, so you said something to me. Uh, we got together, I want to say probably the week that the week or the week after that we heard of George Floyd's murder. And I reached out to you. We probably spent almost three hours here in this room just connecting and processing and touching base. And then we met again last week. And there were two things that stood out to me from those two meetings. The first is you said, I'm not allowed to have a bad day. He said, I'm not allowed to have a bad day. And then Jonathan said last week, he said, you know, you seem, you seem very very composed you seem very what's the word you used gracious. gracious and and i felt like your response to us after jonathan said that was was really a sacred moment and it just really felt like just inspired by the spirit because probably three or four minutes you actually went on to talk about how frustrated you are yes. and you know i, I want to make sure that we don't we don't look at people of color and go, well, they're not irate, they're not angry, they're not, and so they're not bothered. They must be okay. And, and I think it would actually be very helpful for us, if you feel comfortable, just, you know, when you hear of an Ahmaud Arbery, a Breonna Taylor, a George Floyd, or when you touch or experience the things that, that you're referencing, how, how does it hit you? How does that affect you? And what do you mean when you say, I'm not allowed to have a bad day? Can you just go into that for me when I first heard about any of these situations I had really no words to describe what was going on in my heart and the first thing I looked at as first of all a person as opposed to a black person just a person and um, and I've heard many different comments I've read hundreds of opinions and be careful of everybody's opinion that you read good Lord they're like armpits. <laughs> Everybody have them, and yeah. <laughs> but I uh, read a lot of them, and, and I, was, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to process this. So I've learned a long time ago that if you don't have anything to say, don't say anything. You don't have to make conversation. But when I came in, um, and Jay was asking, you know, what do you feel about this? I was able to say, you know, I have to first think of this as a Christian man before I think of it as a black man. 
Because if I identify myself with Christianity, then I have a rock, something firm, something to stand on, something to go forth and to, to hold me um, captive and to hold me solid. But if I think of it as a black man, I'm frustrated. I'm really frustrated because it still goes on on today. And, and the frustrations that I have, if, if it's all right, if I can share with you some of my frustrations and how I deal with these frustrations, I think it'll help us. I'm frustrated that, like I said before, I walk into a room and you judge me for something that I cannot control, and that's my skin color. I can't control if I'm tall, if I'm short. I can't control if I'm a little chubby. <laughs> but I can't control if I'm black, white, Asian, or what have you, but I'm judged based off of skin color. There's no relationship in this judgment. It's just straight judgment. I'm frustrated that I have to teach my children to talk a different way and be a different way before police. When I get pulled over by the police, there are certain steps and actions that I have to take before he even or she gets to the door. I have to have everything out. I can't go reach into my pocket and pull things out because I may be a hostile person now. When police approach my vehicle, they approach the vehicle with their hands on their pistols as opposed to, may I have your license and registration? So I have everything on the dashboard. I have to teach my children that. Why? Because I don't know what's in that mind of that police officer. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he had a bad day. If I have a bad day, right, with a police officer, then I need to be detained, caged, arrested and caged. If somebody else have a bad day, they're just having a bad day and they might get a pass. I'm frustrated that I have to think a different way when I go into a room and kind of scour the room and see who's going to protect me if I get into an altercation with somebody who don't like me because of my skin color. I'm frustrated that my daughter had to endure racism in 2016 because somebody calling her the N-word in the line, I wish this person would hurry up and get their food. And nobody came to her rescue as a just a person. I'm frustrated that people don't see when people have an issue and they announce it, we gotta judge it before we come alongside to try to understand it. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that as a black man that has served this country, nobody asks, hey, how are you doing? How was it in life until you get to know me, but you judge me before you see me? I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated I gotta train my children in a different way. I'm frustrated that we have to go through this. I'm frustrated that you hate me because I'm bald-headed. I can't choose, well, I can't choose that. I can't choose that. But inside, there's this heaviness and this frustration. And if I identify with my color of being a black man in this country, then yes, I'm frustrated and I'm mad and I wanna go burn something. But first, I have to identify with being a Christian man before I'm a black man. Because old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. Therefore, I can give my cares unto Christ. Therefore, when I come across a man or a woman, I can judge them based off of how they are in my, in my, in my, in, 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 in my presence as opposed to what this group of people have done or what, what I think that they will do. I have an anchor like we just sung about. He's my firm foundation. So if I identify with my color and my creed or my political party, I'm going to go there. If I do that solely, then I'm not identifying with Christ. It was Joshua 
that when he was getting ready to go against Jericho, there was a man standing there and he ran up on him and said, who are you for? Are you for us or against us? And what did he say? No, that's because God is for his will and his will only, not ours, regardless of who we come alongside. So that's why I say I'm a Christian man before I'm a black man. Therefore, I can look at anybody. And if you're in need, I can come to your rescue. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic. It doesn't matter. If you're in need, I can come to your rescue. Why? Because I'm a Christian man. Does that make sense? That's so powerful. And I would probably even add, Sadron, that this is this is a mature Christian response. Yes. Um, and we didn't plan for this in our questions, but but how did you get there? I mean, you know, it, I, I know a lot of people of color who are believers, but this is, this is just a very, very, very challenging and difficult uh, situation to be in. And it's a difficult place to get into where, you know, you're, ne- you're never victimized. You, you identify, like you said, more with who you are as a, as a follower of Christ first. How, how did you get there? That's a great question. Every one of us have experiences in life on, where you have pivotal points where you'll go one way or you'll go the other way. And when I first got saved, this was back in 1995 when I got saved, but this was in 96, I went to Germany. And the Bible says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. And I, I came into confrontation with a, a guy who outranked me. And he really hated my guts. Oh, boy, he hated Sergeant Smith. He just did not like me. And we had a detail, and this is just a part of how I got there. We had a detail where I had to move a 1,000 rifles on a truck to a different location, and he gave me two other soldiers and myself, and we had to do this. And we got down to the last two racks of, of, of rifles, and this young man sent over two uh, female soldiers, and I said, hey, I don't need them. And he thought that I was saying I don't need them because they're female soldiers. Why don't I need them? We're just about done. Why are you sending me extra help when we're finished? And he would come, and he will get close in my face, and he, he would have a wet conversation. You ever had a person had a wet conversation when they're talking? It's just wet. I mean, his was just wet. (laughs) And I couldn't do nothing because he outranked me. In my heart and in my spirit, I was like, I'm about to hit him in his mouth hard. Because, you know, I had a big mouth and I can, listen, I can get under your skin. I could do it. But then I said under my breath, newly saved, I said, Lord, you see what's happening to me? I'm asking for you to help me in this. Help me, because I want to hit him. I was ready to hit him hard, but I didn't. After that wet conversation, after he called me all kind of names and said, you disgust me, get out of my face. And he's only one rank higher than me, but I disgust him, right? I walked away and I ate my lunch. He did this in front of my troops, my troops. So it was difficult to kind of regain that composure and that, that he, you know, so I was humbled under this. 
A month later, it was like the sheets was uncovered off of the illegal activity that he was doing and he went to prison. But while he went to jail, oh, this is the good part. God is good. But anyway, while he went to jail, this is really not the good part, but. God is not Lord. good because he went to prison. Yeah. <laughs> when he went to jail, he had gotten assaulted and he had to go have some surgery. And he was still assigned to the unit. Now, the unit has to send representatives to go grab him and take him to the hospital. It has to be a person who is the same rank and, it's two of us, and or a person who is a lower rank. Guess who they had come take him from the, the prison? It was me. He came out shackled up and everything and the sergeant had knew how he was treating me. He was like, hey, you wanna leave the shackles on? You know what I'm saying, man, this is your chance to get at him. I said, no. Release his shackles. He ain't going nowhere anyway. Release his shackles. And when we got into the hospital, instead of me poking him and telling him, see, that's what you get, I ministered to him. His mind wasn't right. He was in the first Gulf War, and, and things happened out there. It just kind of shifted his mind. No relationship there. But I found out that God is my refuge. He is my help, my very present help in a time of need. And I latched on to that to say, you know what, whatever I come into, I'm going to inject God into the situation. I'm going to let him fight my battles for me because if I would have fought my battles, it would have been flipped. I would have been the one in jail. You see what I'm saying? If I would have came out out of my soul instead of my spirit, it would have been flipped. So that's how I came. That's just one of the situations that happened that allowed me to say, okay, God, I need to go to you first before I go to what I think about this situation here. That's so good. Uh, I'm going to fast forward here. There's a couple other questions I'm going to skip by, but I, w I want to get down into this idea of building genuine gospel friendship or missional friendships or authentic friendships. And Sidron and Tamara have been life group leaders now for 2013, seven years. Seven years, these guys, twice a month, sometimes sometimes more. Uh, both of these guys work. They have little kids and, um, you know, hosting uh, other people, coming into your house, cooking meals, cleaning up after them. It's, it's, it's no small chore. And these guys have faithfully done this for seven years. Seven years have demonstrated what it means to be a hospitable family, have demonstrated what it means to open your hearts, open your home, and, uh, and you've walked a lot of people in Antioch through a lot of stuff at a lot of seasons of life. And what, what can you tell us about how to build friendships with people that are not like you? Or what can you tell us about how we can go about intentionally and strategically building friendships with people who are not like us? There, there are many different things that you have to place in your heart, and you have to allow God to show us first. You know, show us that, you know, um, it's not just about us, but it's about others. I wouldn't want my worst enemy to go to hell. As a matter of fact, we can't even hate our enemies. <laughs> we can't even hate them in the Christian faith. We have to love them. 
But Tamara and I, we have decided to surround ourselves with just different walks of life, different people. And we've placed it in our heart on purpose. Um, because I feel like if you stay with the same group of people, then you have the same type of mindset. And that's not necessarily correct. I, I think that, you know, when you stay around the same group of people, you, you, you have different comments and nuances there that's not um, appropriate for others. And the picture is a married couple that only surrounds themselves with married people. There are things that married couples talk about that they can identify with, but when a single person come in there and we make those comments, they're not appropriate for that single person coming into your community. Does that make sense? And a lot of times when we stick with just one race or whatever, there are some comments that's made within these races or within different people groups that is not appropriate for other people groups. So once we take that out of our heart and say, I'm gonna just come alongside people, I think that building relationships and getting answers as to why things are happening will go down deeper. Instead of just a soulish level, you'll go to a more intimate, connected, spiritual level. Does that make sense? Answers come through relationships. So if you are in relationship with me and I tell you something on a question that you have, you got history, you got background, you got somewhere to go and bring, okay, this is why this answer is here. So Tamara and I, even on our street, you can't get away from me. If you go to your mailbox, I'm going to track you down and say, how you doing and who are you? And, and we've placed in our heart to know everybody just on our street. And there are different groups on our street. So when this happens, we come in a relationship with them. If we wouldn't have known our next door neighbor, we would not have known that he was under pancreatitis in the hospital. We wouldn't have known to pray for him and he recovered in six weeks instead of six months. We wouldn't have known to go over there and lay hands and to speak life into them. So building relationships, I had to come out of myself to say I don't like people, because I think I told you that before. When I first got here, I was like, I just don't like people. Because people are people, and you know, people are people. And they got people problems and people issues, and I just don't like people. And Jay was like, hold up, what's wrong with you? I said, yes, sir. And But now I love people. <laughs> I love people. I just People just have issues, right? They're not issues, they just have issues. People are people. But when you when you praise in your heart that you want to come along people, then it breaks everything. It breaks, I mean, when you come in a relationship with Hispanic people and you eat the food, oh my goodness. Or you come in a relationship with Asian people and you eat the food, oh my goodness. And don't come in a relationship with black people and eat the food, oh my goodness. You know, but it's the relationship. And we always start with a meal because we feel like it goes deeper when we eat. And that's just a part of what we do as in our household. We try to look for people and just come alongside of people and just pray and say, hey, I got something that you need, and it's the gospel. It's Jesus. And a lot of our friends on our neighborhood, they know of him, but they don't know him. And it's our goal to have our entire street saved and healed and healthy. I want to hit a couple of things, but as you were sharing that, Sadron, what stood out to me, and there was a number of things that stood out to me. Um, 
I remember nine years ago um, when you when you first came to CSCS, you came to a Sunday morning service. I was so excited. Um, and then I didn't see you in a few weeks because Cedron, um, and understandably so, he and I actually have a little bit of a common background um, because he and I were both heavily influenced by a particular bishop and a particular church in Texas. And so we had some talking points there, and Christian House of Prayer is a predominantly African-American church. And so there was, there was a, um, a satellite campus here in Colorado Springs. So for me, it was, it, I just knew. I was like, oh, these guys are going to go to Christian House of Prayer in Colorado Springs. Um, and I was, I was saddened but hopeful. Um, and then Tamara said something to you that I think is so powerful. You know, she just said, listen, you know, I know there's, at that time, I think Sadron was like the only black person in Freedom Church. And she said, be the first. Like, be the first. Be a trailblazer and help build what you see as a need. And Tamara, I just, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for your wisdom. I'm so grateful for your courage and your boldness. I'm so grateful for both of you and for so many years. You, and even now, currently, you guys are, you guys are minorities in Antioch Church. Um, last Sunday, I think I noticed you were the only black person in Antioch in that, in that service. And there are a lot of gatherings where you're the only black person in the room, man. And what stands out to me as you're sharing this is that the minority is the one who's reaching out to the majority and say, come to my house. And that convicts me because really it should be the other way around. Like we should have dozens and dozens and dozens of white families in Antioch reaching out to the Smith saying, come to our home, eat at our table. We want to be friends with you and we need to do better. I need to do better. And so thank you. Thank you for being steadfast. You know, pastor, um, one last thing that I share, and I know we short on time here, but uh, it's awesome that, you know, I'm in here because I believe that when I got saved, uh, I was in the back of the church. I think I just came from the club. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I was back there when I opened listening to the preacher and then that preacher was talking directly to me with hundreds of people in there. It seemed like he was just spearing down on me. And at the end of the service, he gives the altar call, and he said, every eye closed and every head bow. Y'all ever heard that before? I look up, and when I looked up, I looked into an usher's eye, and I hurry up and close my eyes. He didn't see me. He didn't see me. He didn't see me. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And for the life of me, I do know why, but I really don't. I'm like, I looked up again, and this usher, instead of saying, you know, and, and where I come from, it was like, you better be obedient or else so I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. <laughs> right? Close your eyes. He didn't do that. What he did was, come on. Come on. And I had to break through five people, all of my friends, all of them just came from church. The only reason we was there so we could tell our mom that we went to church and we won't be lying to our mom no more. And my friends, each one of them tugged me, was like, don't go. They tugged me. Don't go. Don't go. Can you imagine the pressure? Don't go. You're going to mess it up. Don't go. You're going to mess it up. And I bust out anyway and went up and everything. But there's, what I'm saying is there's two types of people, two types of ushers at that time. There's that usher that tells you to close your eyes and be obedient. And then there's that usher that says, come on. But only one of them has the heart of the pastor. 
the one that was saying come to Christ was the one that has the heart. Both of them are correct, but one of them has the heart of the pastor. And when I notice that there's a difference in the house of God, there are some people who have the heart of the pastor, and there are some people who are just correct. There's more people who have the heart of the pastor that I'm looking for here than just being correct. I just want to be on my stance. And I believe that's what's kept me here as well. There's, there's a remnant of people that have your heart to bring people in and to, to minister the gospel to different people. But then you have those ones that just want to be correct. Does that make sense? So that has helped me be steadfast in this house because there's a lot of people who have the heart of the pastor going on missions trips and, and, and just being a part of different people groups and things like that. And that's what's really got me to be here. And I hope that's shared abroad through everybody that comes through these doors. <sighs> Guys, I hope that you have gotten just a little bit of a teaser on how amazing this man and this woman are. I mean, these guys, these guys are jewels. Um, funny, caring, compassionate, one of the most thoughtful people that I've ever met in my life. Generous, these guys are sacrificial. They're wise, they're astute, they're faithful. They have fought through challenges and obstacles and offenses. These guys are good, good friends. And I'm telling you, my God, we are honored to have Sidron and Tamara in this family. I cannot imagine. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine. I don't want to. I'm so glad you guys have made that choice nine years ago and you kept making the choice over and over again. So I'd be honored, man, if you would pray over the table with me together. We failed to mention this, but for those of you who don't know, for the past four years, uh, Sajan and Tam have also been serving as elders in the house as well. So they're not, they're, we're no spring chickens here, man. They're, they're, uh, they're very important to the family. So, uh, Antioch church, um, I want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord today, and I pray that, uh, that you guys would just continue to have more and more and more and more conversations. Um, I can't imagine one person in the Antioch family, if you walked up and said, hey, can I take you out to coffee? Can I take you out to lunch? Can we find some time together? Do you want to come over home? I can't imagine one person in Antioch who would turn that down. And just imagine like 30 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. Imagine if we just replicated this over and over and over again. Imagine if young were reaching out to the old. Imagine if the old were reaching out to the young. Imagine if whites were reaching out to Hispanics. Imagine if our Latinos were reaching out to our black brothers and sisters. Imagine if some of those who are a little bit more conservative reached out to those who are a little bit more progressive. What kind of house would we be? What kind of family would we be? What if we learned how to mutually submit to one another? What if we learned how to listen to each other? What if we built relationships that were strong enough to withstand pressure? What if we had freedom to ask a question the wrong way? I've asked, I've asked this man questions and he's like, well, I wouldn't ask it that way. <laughs> but I'm so safe. I've got nine years of being in the trenches and I can mess up, and he's not going to judge me, and vice versa. I'm telling you guys, friendship is the way forward. Thank you for listening.
listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.